This is the new Metro New York market. Hey everybody, Zach Romanoff here. Thank you so much for checking out this video. The New Jersey Food Processors Association invited me to participate in a panel on emerging trends and the marketplace. I was happy to do it because the last four months have been a roller coaster ride for people inside the food industry and out. And we do a deep dive into what trends are here to stay, what, what surprised us most about the last four months and supermarkets, what trends we see that are, that are gonna be here to stay, and also the government's response. So a lot going on here, um, enjoy. These are just my question and answer of the panel. If you'd like to see the full version with the other two panelists, go to njfoodprocessors.org, then click on the events tab, and then click the program sub tab, and then you can watch the full version. It's about uh, an hour there. This video is about 25 minutes. I hope you enjoy. Let me know what you think. I hope you get some value from it. Remember, not all days are created equal. Talk to you later. Bye. So I want to introduce to you Linda Darty, President and CEO of the New Jersey Food Council and strategic partner on the board of the New Jersey Food Processors Association. Um, Linda will be moderating today. Thanks for joining us and listening in on our conversation on managing consumer trends and the emerging market, sponsored by the New Jersey Food Processors Association. In my position at the Food Council, as uh, Michelle had mentioned, I serve as a strategic partner on the board of the Food Processors Association, and they are a growing business association. And if you're not, I highly recommend the consideration of joining their membership. Today's webinar is sponsored by MNT Bank. Again, we are live streaming this conversation on Facebook and it will be recorded uh, on the website so you can share with colleagues and come back at it uh, during a later date. So this afternoon, we have an astute lineup of panelists and we look forward to hearing their insights on food industry trends and innovation. With the sudden and drastic impact of the COVID-19 crisis on the food business, we learned so much in a short window of time about supply chain pressures, resiliency, workforce absenteeism, online shopping, contactless experiences, virtual business meetings, and consumer buying habits, just to name a few. These unthinkable challenges have now created a path for opportunity, innovation, and growth. I recently wrote an op-ed in New Jersey Biz about the COVID experience and how the grocery industry built the plane while flying it. As we overcame so many obstacles so quickly, but now, four months later, we're paving a, run a runway to land and take off. And that's what the panel will talk about today as we look at consumer trends and the emerging market from their unique perspective on our lifeline industry. We'll start with introductions, have a robust conversation, and when we complete the discussion, I'm going to open it up for questions by the audience. So let's get underway. Zach Romanoff is president of Omni Food Sales, a food brand advocate that works with food brands to increase sales and distribution in the Metro New York marketplace. Zach runs the day-to-day -day operations at Omni. Zach? Good afternoon. My name is Zach Romanoff. I'm the president of Omni Food Sales. Omni is known throughout the industry as a broker, 
but we've renamed that. We don't go by broker anymore. We go by advocate, and I'll explain why. But just a, a little bit background on me. I grew up in the business. My father founded two companies, a distributor and Omni Food Sales. So as I grew up, I watched both of these companies grow up. So I had a pretty, I had a front row seat uh, watching what it took to grow a business in Metro New York, relationship building, um, the wins, but more importantly, the battles, the losses, the things that can happen. Uh, but I most importantly realized the importance of having a sound team around you. So uh, at Omni, we have three segments. I worked in all three as a retail rep. I had a territory of stores that I covered, that I visited every you know, couple weeks, spoke to the department manager, got their feedback, and tried to cut in items and got to hear their concerns and what's going on at store level. I worked in the office, learning the back end side of the business, um, order entry, deductions, and making sure everything lines up so that all your work doesn't go for nothing. And then also as a business manager, calling on all of the 30 plus end users in the Metro New York marketplace, which New York is the most diverse and compacted area throughout the whole country in terms of diversity and store count. So to call on all of the end users in this market, every end user has, or retailer has their own way of doing business. I've called on every end user and, um, and now run the day-to-day -day operations of Omni, you know, deciding where our, our resources are allocated towards. Um, I termed the phrase brand advocate because I realized a few years ago that the name or the word broker just, they had a negative connotation to it. And I heard some horror stories talking with some people and I understood why. I mean, I heard some stories of people getting suckered into bad deals and bad contracts and situations that I would never wish on anybody. And I realized, okay, this is why there's a little bit of hesitation when you say you're a broker. So in my mind, I started thinking about the word broker. What does it mean? And then mortgage broker, broker stock broker, they came to mind. People that you use for one-time transactions that helped you with the deal, and then you never heard from them ever again. And to, to label a food broker as that, maybe in the past, a broker, you needed to know someone and they got you into an account and that's how you got the business, but it's evolved. And that's not what Omni does today. We do so much more. It's a 24 seven, 365 job where you've got to give your principal the cost of doing business to get into an account, actually secure the business, keep the business, navigate different waters and avoid pitfalls and don't get stuck in, in things that are not good. Once you get the business, your competitors are going to wake up and they're going to react and they're going to do things to get the business back. So getting the business is really one step. And, and uh, that's why advocate came to me because I thought about like an attorney in court, they have a client and whether that client is innocent or guilty, they fight for that client till the end, no matter what they do, whatever is in their best interest. And that's what Omni does when it terms to forecasting and allocating and projecting, we do what's best for our principal at all times. So that's, that's the term brand advocate and people in the industry have really uh, gravitated towards it and received it well. Um, I've pr been pretty active on social media and I've received invitations uh, from two delegations, one from Korea and one from the UK to speak about brand advocacy and how to grow a brand in the New York Metro market. Uh, and I also was asked to speak at St. Joe's University Food Marketing Program to a capstone course about brand advocacy. Well, thanks, Zach. This will be our first question. From your sector perspective, what surprised you the most about the COVID outbreak? And what consumer data is guiding your decisions today? 
And Zach, what surprised you the most? To me, it was the speed at which supermarkets responded to these new work conditions. And what I mean by that is the space in the stores, the early cleanings, the night cleanings, the hours for the elderly, the PPE, you know, these were uncertain conditions. There was no playbook that you can read. I mean, more so than any segment of any industry, even government, supermarkets had to take these new protocols and practice them ASAP. And for the most part, there were virtually zero store closures or decreased hours. I mean, it was very minimal considering that we had unprecedented demand. And at no greater time in my, in my professional career have I been so proud to be part of the food industry because the entire economy, I mean, think about it, no schools, um, no entertainment, no restaurants, no clubs, all the places that people go out to get food were done. And, and largely for four months, or at least in the Metro New York area, supermarkets have fed the country and you know with largely no hiccups so to me it's as impressive as anything else during covid and i think when we look back on this moment in years past we're going to look at supermarkets as as a shining star through this time yes thanks zach so so let's look talk about supply chain challenges zach in in your part of the business how did it impact your business specifically those challenges how did you have to adjust? Well, supply chain affected everybody. I don't know anyone that wasn't affected by the supply chain. Um, manufacturers were struggling to fill orders 100%. The majority of them still are to this day, not filling 100%. There are a few lucky out there, including some that are on this call, but it's largely been all across the board where some people are okay, some are not. Um, how do we handle it? We handle it a few different ways. I mean, the first one was, it's been a new daily task to track every order that we've received from every customer and then match that up with what's shipping out. So we're on a normal day, normal times, we're used to 99 or higher percent fill rates. I mean, and we've had significantly less and, and different levels from everyone. So number one was we collected the orders from everyone. We collected everyone's orders. And even if we knew we couldn't fulfill it 100%, um, you know, on the date that they desire it, we still collected it. And, and we took everything within reason that we thought we could, we could pull. And we made a database and we held it. And some weeks were better than others. And some weeks, a significant amount of product went. And some weeks, a good amount of product did not go. But we maintained that total and we maintained communication with the customer. We were upfront, we were transparent, and we let them know. And also remember in the beginning of March or mid-March, April, I mean, manufacturers were slammed with this unprecedented demand. They didn't even know where they were gonna send product. And so the supply chain was wild. We maintained the communication uh, on both sides. And as we maintained this communication, trust grew. And as the trust grew, more product was ordered and more product was given. And then gradually, you know, we got things to a better level. So we're still crawling out from, from some backhauls, from some order, you know, piles of orders. We're still digging out, getting them back into stores, but it's been a wild time. I mean, starting out, New York, New Jersey was the hotbed. This is where everything was going on. And other parts of the country saw the closures and saw the protocols and they were like, wow, like that's wild. Okay, but we're getting really big orders. Do what you gotta do. And then as time went on, COVID spread around the country, and now those manufacturers are dealing with it too. 
Now we're all in the same boat in this together. How are we gonna deal with this unprecedented demand and how are we gonna keep all of our customers satisfied in, the, in these incredible situations? So we asked for a lot of uh, transparency. We asked a lot of our principals to put letters together on their company letterhead with a state of what's going on, um, what items are on, what items are off, what's the status. And for better or for worse, you know, we let our customers know that. And it's not always what they want to hear, but we let our customers know what they could expect of us. So Zach, as a brand advocate, how do you communicate when many of your suppliers and your customers have a stay-at-home emergency order? How do you remain relevant right now during a global pandemic and you're part of the business? Well, the number one word is the F word, fulfillment. Everybody wants orders being filled. So the best job that you can do with that, that's the number one thing. But that is the name of the game. Everybody wants their product. And if you can't order it, you know, fulfill it 100%, then people just want the lines of communication to be open. So transparent communication on both sides. And we did that, like I said, for better or for worse. Um, in terms of suppliers, Omni's principles, Omni sent them or had phone call weekly updates where we put together PowerPoint presentations of what's going on in the market. And this was really key at the beginning because like I said, not everyone was experiencing this the way that the Northeast was in the beginning. So our team put together feedback from supermarket owners. We even included, I mean, in our area, we lost some, there were some million dollar supermarkets that owners passed away from COVID. There were some other staff that got sick and are no longer working and, and, and also passed away. There were people that I sat in meetings with less than a month before COVID started that have now passed away. So we documented all these things along with the protocols that were going in place in stores, as well as uh, pictures showing like the limits, you know, buy one item, buy two items. Our manufacturer partners couldn't believe it. They were like, oh my goodness, we knew the orders were unprecedented, but they couldn't believe that they were still getting gargantuan sized orders and people were being limited to one or two packages each. And that was a reality. So we brought them into the fold with us and we, we explained what we were dealing with. Uh, secondly, uh, about staying relevant, you know, our team has weekly calls and we were, you know, about two months into COVID, a lot of our team members were saying, hey, we want to do something to like, to make a difference to help. A lot of people can just go on a website and donate money, but our team wanted to get on the front lines. So we put out letters to all of our principals and we asked for donations. We got a good amount back. We got them all and then we mixed them all up and put together care packages. And our team went out to different shelters, to different hospitals, to um, fire, fire stations, literally all kinds of first responders. And we gave them these packages. And, uh, and we, you know, documented it, sent it back to our principals, and they loved it because they got to see people that, you know, had masks on at the beginning when people didn't really know what COVID was. So that's what we did uh, for, like, on the supplier side. And then with customers, again, maintaining transparent communication. We took every order that they wanted to give. And remember, it went a little bit crazy, you know, the first month or two in. There was panic buying, and there were some people in the industry that spread these rumors that there was gonna be a meat shortage. Now, I wasn't appreciative of those claims because I don't believe our country was close to a meat shortage, 
I believe those brands were, were in trouble on getting shut down by the USDA. But regardless, there was panic buying going on. And we had people just placing POs and it didn't matter. Just here's 10 POs. When can you fill it? When can you send it? So we took every product and then it became a daily exercise communicating. I can't tell you how many allocation phone calls we were on because this unprecedented demand hit virtually all of our principals and they didn't know where to send the product. I mean, they, they, really, didn't, they didn't really know where to, where to send it. So if you didn't have someone that was aggressively and relentlessly calling and asking your regional and your director and your VP for product, you were gonna get cut. Your customers were not gonna get product that week. So it was a wild time. Um, I mean, I really don't know what to say, but just in summary, we over-communicated. We had daily communication open and, um, and, and that's how we stayed relevant. I'll move this to the contactless and frictionless experience. And we're seeing that surge of online shopping. What about you from your perspective? Well, the contactless and frictionless experience, absolutely, everybody wants it. I mean, we saw this before COVID. We saw the self-checkout machines starting to appear in stores. But has anyone else experienced going through those machines and it freezes up or it can't read your brand of fruit and then you need to stop and wait and someone has to help you with it? I mean, I experienced that quite often. So I think the technology can get better with self-checkout. I think it's a matter of time before it does. And, and then there's further ways to innovate. I mean, just because you're gonna have self-checkout and not have cashiers there, why don't you re-educate and train and put those people back into the stores and let them be product experts? You know, let them be floating around the store, easily accessible with shirts that say, hi, I'm here to help, ask me a question, or even put a blue light up where you, like on a college campus, you hit the blue light and then someone comes to help you. And again, that helps. You don't have this buildup of people at the register and it helps people to enjoy the overall experience of shopping in the store. Thank you. So now let's look at how has this crisis incentivized innovation in your segment of the business? And what we had for the last four months was a tremendous amount of pressure was put on retailers. Um, we saw that online food delivery service, services were completely overwhelmed, out of stock, not ready for the demand, and you know, you're waiting for days or weeks or can't even place an order. So we know that that technology is going to get better to handle the next COVID, right? We all know that the technology online, you will be able to order you know, better online. But I truly believe, for, and, and also, there are some easy technological you know, innovations that we could see, like having store counters that know who's in the store at what time, you know, how many people are in the store at one time, you know, and other things like that. But I truly believe this is an opportunity for supermarkets to realize that the biggest area of opportunity for innovation is customer service. Similar to the Apple store, when you go there and you have a problem with your phone, they literally don't let you leave until your problem is solved. They have a genius there. They answer your question. I think the, the level of customer service at an Apple store is phenomenal. And a company like Apple, you know, people say they could have gone fully automation and they could have gone, you know, people less. And there's a lot of companies that subscribe to that business model. But I, I, think, I think really people want to talk to people and people want to go into stores and they want to talk to someone. We have brilliant marketers in the food industry. Brilliant. They are so good. I am trained to work in this industry and to sell these products 
and I go to stores and I get confused and lost based on the attributes and the false advertising and the large colorful claims that some products have. Are these equal? What's the difference? What if there was an expert that was easily available that could help you, that could make your experience that much better? I mean, think about it. Wouldn't you like to hear from your local store's store manager? Like to get an email from him and say, hey, you know what? I've got a party coming up. Um, I'm going to have all these things. Like, like, do you have it? I mean, those kinds of interactions, they're just non-existent right now. And we need to do better or else we're just going to succumb to online technology and just let it go that way. But I truly believe that's what people want. Think about it. Like Home Depot, you can look online, look up, you know, a gallon of paint or a paintbrush, and it will look up in the closest store to you and even tell you how many items are there in what bay and in what aisle. And then you could go there and you're in and out. Why can't we expect the same thing from supermarkets? Good point. So what, how would you grade government uh, in their response and their directives and how has it impacted your business? And how about you, Zach? What do you think about government's response? I would give the government's response an A minus. And that's because, and we're, again, we're talking about the food industry only here, not about regular citizens. Food industry only, A minus. And that's because there was almost zero interruption in store hours despite all the new protocols that were put into place. The government basically lets supermarkets what they do and they get out of the way. And in this emergency time, that's exactly what we needed. I mean, even when you had these food shortage rumors, it was, uh, it was wild. I had people that were calling me up, Zach, is there gonna be enough steak, beef, chicken? Do I need to go stack up? And I had to explain to them that, hey, no, just because you hear the executive of a large company say that there's gonna be a supply issue or take out a full page ad in the New York Times, they have self-serving interests for doing that. So in the end of April, when President Trump enacted the Defense Production Act and basically claimed food manufacturers were essential and basically held them harmless or gave them immunity from lawsuits from people, I breathed a sigh of relief because plants were getting shut down by the USDA and that would have caused a problem. Now, again, we were not close to a food shortage. The rumors were, that's it, they were rumors. But if you continually had plants closed, and you had unprecedented demand, you would have had people fighting in the store over the last piece of a chicken. You know, thank goodness we didn't have that. So I know that this is a hard decision and I see the points on the other side too, because at the same time, right, people weren't going to work and they didn't want to go in an unsafe environment. And the CDC and OSHA guidelines were exactly that. They were guidelines, they weren't mandatory. And that's the only reason why I didn't give the federal government or any level of government an A+. It's because some people still did and do have to subject themselves to an environment where there's not proper spacing. I mean, I've walked dozens of plants. These places are designed to cram as many people into them as possible so that you could put as many lines in there as possible and maximize your efficiency. To all of a sudden say, you need to space these people out six feet apart you need to have plastic dividers so that they can't, no, you know, oxygen cells can transfer. I mean, and all the temperature checks and the excessive cleanings and the PPE costs. Under normal circumstances, you would give a manufacturer months to get in line with all this. You can't expect them to get it in line during a pandemic, during all this craziness. Literally, like you said, Linda, while the plane is burning and, and flying down. Right. 
before we wrap up, if anyone has any questions, we'll open it up. I have been asking questions on and off, but I think this next question is a good one. Um, and these are for new processors and other new food business companies. Now that a lot of these expos are canceled and a lot of these food shows, which provided that opportunity uh, for retailers and distributors and different chains and parts of the business to meet and socialize and, and, and try out new products. Do you have any suggestions now um, as we're seeing a lot of this social distancing, a lot of these programs put on hold, that how does a business now kind of break into the industry if you're not gonna have that type of experience of a public expo or, or a specialty show? And uh, Zach, I'm gonna start with you. I was gonna say, can I answer that one? Um, contact Omni Food Sales. This is why you have a brand advocate. We have relationships with the buyers, the directors, the owners of the 1,500 plus stores in the New York Metro Marketplace. Um, we've had dozens of brands reach out to us and send us samples. And actually, you know, it's actually pretty cool. Even though there's no formal corporate meetings, we have this is the new Metro New York market. And sales are growing during this time. So now more than ever, the value of having someone that has relationships with the buyers and everyone in the network, uh, this is really a time for people like Omni to shine. So I want to thank all our panelists, Richard, Zach, and John, for taking time to speak with us this afternoon. I also want to thank our sponsor, M&T Bank, and of course our host, the New Jersey Food Processors Association. Uh, remember, we have recorded this um, discussion today and it will be on the food processors website uh, probably in the coming days so folks can always uh, go back at a later time to review it and share it with uh, other colleagues uh, in the industry and uh, again this is a great discussion and if anyone wants to reach me directly at the food council uh, my email is ldoherty at njfoodcouncil.com and uh, again fellas thank you for a very informative and insightful discussion and I appreciate you taking time to talk to us this afternoon. Thanks. Thank you. Anytime. Thank you.